Uh, there was nothing else at all in the whole world but football. Hey guys, hope you're all well. Welcome to the Triple F and welcome to another episode of The Magic Of where we provide in-depth profiles of clubs from all over the world. We like to cover a whole range of clubs from those with a rich history to those with new beginnings, massive clubs with international support to smaller clubs with a modest yet equally passionate fan base and clubs you've most likely heard of to the ones that you probably haven't. This episode is all about Irish club Drogheda United FC. Drogheda United are an Irish association football club based in Drogheda, County Louth and are currently playing in the League of Ireland Premier Division. We'll briefly explore the historic port of Drogheda before digging into the rich past of Drogheda United then round it off with a chat I had back in May with longtime supporter Niall to get a fan's perspective of the mighty drogs. Follow me now as we discover the magic of Drogheda United. Drogheda, urban district and seaport on the southern border of County Louth, Ireland. Drogheda lies along the River Boyne about four miles from the mouth of the river. Drogheda was a stronghold and a trading post of the Norsemen in the 8th to 11th century and of the Anglo-Normans in the 12th century. Two towns grew up, one on either side of the river. They received separate incorporation in 1228 but were combined by charter in 1412. In the reign of Edward III, it was a staple town and several medieval parliaments met there. In 1649, it fell to Oliver Cromwell. It ceased to be a parliamentary borough in 1885 and a county of itself in 1898. The remains of the ancient fortifications comprise the St. Lawrence Gate and the West Gate. Other remains are the tower of a Dominican friary founded 1224 and the arch of an Augustinian abbey founded 1206. The district's industry includes linen and cotton mills, coach building works, flour mills and sawmills, a brewery, a large cement works and the manufacture of pipes, fats, soaps, medical equipment and agricultural machinery. Drogheda is the centre for salmon fishing on the River Boyne and agricultural produce and coal are traded by sea. Drogheda United was founded as a junior club in 1919. The club entered the Dundalk and District League for the 1919-20 season and within two years were champions. Moves to the Leinster Senior League and Sunday Alliance League helped the club challenge for the major junior football trophies. Initially playing their games in Magdalene Park, they moved to the showgrounds and then on to United Park in 1927. In 1933, a Drogheda United minor team was formed before evolving into the seniors. The squad include future drugs legends Danny O'Neill, Joe Mulally, brothers Tom and Sean Munster and Desi Fagan. In 1953, the town became the new home of father Kevin Connolly, a native of Ravensdale, Dundalk. 
His arrival was to be a significant turning point in the future development of sport in Drogheda, with Father Connolly being best remembered amongst Drogheda United supporters today due to his direct involvement in the setting up of Drogheda FC in 1962. Father Connolly's infectious enthusiasm was a key factor and without it, arguably there would be no senior soccer club in the town, with the building of the Lord's Stadium owing a lot of its development to him. On Saturday, June 1963, Drogheda FC were elected to the League of Ireland, finishing in the bottom three in their first four competitive league seasons. Progress was slow in those initial years, with fifth, sixth and ninth place finishes following, but in June 1969, Mick Megan signed on as player-manager. 1975 saw the amalgamation of Drogheda United and Drogheda FC, leading to the obvious formation of Drogheda United FC. Drogheda's 1976 cup performances that year set them up for their second cup final appearance, this time against Bohemians, but unfortunately another final appearance was to lead to heartache for the Drogs. On August 12, 1979, United Park was officially opened and Drogheda United FC had their new home, leaving their spiritual home of the Lord Stadium behind. 32-year-old Tony Macken agreed to replace Ray Treacy as manager and a run of just one defeat in the remaining 12 league games left Drogheda with a real chance of achieving European qualification for the first time in the club's history. The Drogheda Independent summed the season up perfectly. A season littered with controversy and frustration ended gloriously. Drogheda United were heading to Europe. Drogheda truly were in the big time having been drawn against Tottenham Hotspur. Alas, a 14-0 aggregate score brought everyone back down to earth. The 1982-83 league season was nothing short of a disaster, but a League Cup run saw them face Athlone Town, the reigning league champions, in the final at Tolka Park. Many expected a tough encounter, but those at the game remember that Drogheda were convincing winners. After 21 years in League of Ireland football, captain Matt Bradley raised aloft Drogheda's first piece of silverware. 1989 was the beginning of a strange phenomenon for the club known as yo-yoing. From 1989 until 2002, the club was known as a yo-yo club, simply meaning that from when it got promoted in 1989, it began a cycle of relegation followed by promotion, although this cycle was briefly broken at times throughout this period something most West Brom fans are quite familiar with. In November of 1993, the legendary 53-year-old Jim McLaughlin became the new Drogheda United manager. One of McLaughlin's aims when he took over was to avoid relegation, but another was to strengthen a squad lacking confidence and a cutting edge in front of goal. Like the three previous seasons, Drogheda's fate was decided on the final day as they faced Cove Ramblers at home. They lost 1-0 and were relegated. In early 1995, promotion was once again secured. The next few years would see a huge turnover of managers with Anto Whelan, Martin Lawler and Eddie May all trying but failing to bring success to the club. However, Lawler's decision to appoint Harry McHugh as his assistant was to be a major turning point in the club's history.
In 2000, Drogheda United went back to their roots in search of a new manager following the departure of Eddie May, promoting from within. Harry McHugh, assistant to both May and Lawler, was given the role. McHugh, without much option because of the club tightening their purse strings, was forced to rely heavily on young local talent. After relying largely on local talent for the 2001 season, McHugh strengthened his squad considerably for the following season, bringing in no less than 12 new players. Three teams posed a threat to McHugh's ambitions for promotion, Finn Harps, Waterford United and the recently formed Dublin City. However, despite the odds seemingly against them, McHugh's side went up as champions. The 2002-03 season saw highs going top of the Premier Division for the first time since 1984 and many lows. Undoubtedly two of those lows were being sucked into the relegation slash promotion playoff and the departure of a number of full-time professionals before the playoffs. Drogheda had to play First Division Cove Ramblers in a two-legged semi-final with the Drogs running out 4-2 aggregate winners. Drogheda were to find out quickly that Galway United were a completely different kind of opposition, losing 2-0 in the first leg. Even the most biased of supporters couldn't have predicted what was to happen on Saturday 8th of February in the return leg. A 3-0 extra time win for McHugh's men, a match that lives on in the memories of all supporters there that day. Unfortunately for Harry McHugh, matters on the pitch didn't improve enough the following season for the board and he was sacked. A truly enjoyable yet slightly frustrating period in Drogheda United's history had come to an end. The decision to sack McHugh surprised few, but no matter how anyone felt about him in the weeks leading up to his dismissal, there was little ill feeling towards him following his departure. Who could forget all that Harry had done for the club? Paul Doolan took over and upped the standard of training and fitness levels. However, he found that to compete with the big clubs like Bohemians and Shelbourne, he would need a professional squad. In 2004, he made the squad fully professional and gave part-time players the option to turn professional or leave the club. The change to full-time saw the club's fortunes drastically improve. They won their first FAI Cup in 2005, beating Cork City in the final and won back-to-back Satanta Cups in 2006 and 2007. They also qualified for the UEFA Cup for the 2006-07 season thanks to their 2005 FAI Cup success. This time they fared better than in their first foray into Europe as they defeated HJK Helsinki 4-2 on aggregate in the first qualifying round and were just eliminated 11-10 in an epic penalty shootout in the next round against IK Star of Norway. They were also in the UEFA Cup qualifying stages for the 2007-08 campaign, losing to Helsingborg's IF in the second round. United finally won the League of Ireland for the first time in 2007, beating Cork City 2-1 at United Park with three games to go. Guy Bates scored the winning goal for Drogheda that day, shooting himself into Drog's folklore. Drogheda were dominant in the league, only losing three times and winning the title by seven points. The darkest period of the club's history was to occur in October 2008 when examinership hit. The club's plans for a new state-of-the-art stadium fell through, leading to unprecedented financial difficulties. However, like before, the club survived primarily due to its supporters, the lifeblood of the club who raised vast amounts of money to stave off the threat of extinction. Mick Cook took over as manager in February 2011, becoming the sixth manager in nine months. 
Robbie Horgan, like Cook, an ex-Drochada player, came in as assistant manager. Despite having the lowest budget in the league, Cook produced a miracle by keeping the club in the Premier Division, leading to him signing a three-year deal to stay on as manager. On the 23rd of September 2012, Drogheda won the League Cup, beating Shamrock Rovers 3-1, their first ever trophy since the League Championship win of 2007. A 2-1 victory over Sligo Rovers at the end of the season saw Drogheda United qualify for the Europa League, a mere four years after nearly going into liquidation. 2013 saw Drogheda reach three domestic finals, unfortunately losing all three with Shamrock Rovers beating them in both the Satanta and League Cup finals, while losing to Sligo Rovers 3-2 in the FAI Cup final. Unfortunately, a breakdown in the relationship between Mick Cook and the club's board led to his departure at the end of that season. Following Cook's departure, Robbie Horgan, Darius Kieran's, Damian Richardson, John McDonnell, Pete Mahon and current manager Tim Clancy have all had spells in the dugout. Who knows where the club will be in another 100 years from now, but one thing is for sure, if it's anything like the last 100 years, it's going to be very interesting. And now for my chat with long-time Drogheda United supporter, Niall. Fantastic to have you on, Niall. Really appreciate it. Um, so this, this show is pretty much going to be centred all around. Um, and apologise and please be patient with my pronunciation here. You can grill me on this. But um, do you say... <laughs> Drogheda or Drogheda United? It's Drogheda. Drogheda. Draw, yeah, Drogheda. Oh, okay. Because I'm yeah, at, uh, like a silent. Ah, right. Yeah, I'm living over here in the Netherlands and they do the same thing with the G. So I, I should be more averse to saying it better. <laughs> right. You're, where, whereabouts are you in the Netherlands? Uh, up in the north in a place called Groningen. Oh, I know it well. Oh yeah, yeah, been there lots of times. Yeah, yeah, it's a lovely, lovely place. It is very good. Do you go and watch? Do you watch Groningen? I wish I could, but because of this pesky old uh, right disease that's been going around, it's uh, it's it's been a bit tricky. Right, but but no, it's, it's definitely on the plans. I think once they allow fans to go back in, uh, I will definitely definitely be looking to go in there. But um, there was. Uh, I think there was about two weeks ago there was plans for fans to go back in, but then I think the the numbers started raising again, so um, they had to cancel it again. So it's yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a faff, and it's I think it's right. all, all football fans share at the moment. It's just frustration of going back into back into football that we're not possible possibly able to do it. But what's the score in in Ireland? Yeah, pretty much the same. See, we have we have a summer league as well. So we're just pretty much through the first round of games. Uh, last week was the beginning of the second round of games. So we're only only just pretty much kicked off. Um, and the last information to come from the government is maybe in July that we'll get people back into the grounds. But I mean, the grounds are so small in comparison to say, say like the English Premier League or whatever, like the grounds are very, very small. You're talking like the biggest grounds and the biggest crowds would be, you know, four and a half, five thousand people. So even if they let a percentage of people back in, you're still only talking a very, very small amount of people. So yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, because it'd be really, really nice to get back to normal and have mm. a Friday Friday night is 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 uh 
is the main main night for football here. Mm. So I'd love to love to have that back on a Friday and get to a game again. And yeah, so it's a pain in the ass, man. It really is. I got to one, maybe two, last season because they did like a lottery or uh, season ticket holders. And I think we had like a couple of hundred people allowed in, and I got to go. And even 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 that was nice, but it was wasn't the same. But it was all right. Even if it was just a handful of fans, like five hundred to a thousand or whatever, it's, it's mm. just something, isn't it? And maybe yeah. that's the the way that they're going to have to do it is just sort of slowly drip feed it until they can get back to full capacity. But yeah, just just as long as we can head toward that. What's the sort of vaccinations looking like in Ireland? Is it the same as sort of uh, the UK? No, very very slow in comparison because because we're in the EU. Yeah. The rollout, obviously, same for you in Holland. It was pretty slow, and then there's this whole, this whole uh, AstraZeneca and which one you can have and which one you can't have and all that. Same, probably the same for you where you are. But uh, it's got really, they've up, they've upped the uh, vaccinations in the last maybe two to three weeks, and it's kind of really taken off now. They only just recently opened up um, um, like hairdressers and barbers and all that kind of stuff last Monday. And I think in June, they were reopening sort of um, uh, outdoor dining and all that. So it's kind of, you kind of feel like it is getting back to, it is getting back to normal again. You know, the traffic on the roads is, is kind of back to peak. All the schools are back and all that kind of stuff. Kids, kids, kids went back training, playing football last week as well. So that was a real big one for a lot of the, a lot of the young people. So sport seems to be kind of, you know, getting back to where it was. That's good. Yeah, so hopefully we'll be seeing sort of at least fuller football stadiums a lot sooner than we we sort of first anticipated. So now that'd be nice. But yeah. um, and, and maybe Boris and his boys and and England were sort of hogging those vaccines for a bit too long, and maybe they're they're sort of been shared out with the rest of Europe now, which would be nice. <laughs> yeah, and then they need to send the rest of them off to India and these yeah. different places. You know. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah, serious mess. Yeah, yeah, crazy. That's, yeah, that's that's a shame. But um, yeah, yeah, let's let's hope we can get out of this mess. And like you say, for for the rest of the world as well, it would just be nice to to get back to normality. So yeah, right, mate. So your your lovely little football team. Um, it'd just be nice to to hear about them. Um, I'm pretty much going into this blind. I've done a little bit of research. But, I mean, if you can sort of fill me in on Drogheda. Uh, United as much as possible. That'd be that'd be great. You want me to start? Where do you want me to start? Uh, let's go current. So how they're doing? How they're getting on currently? Getting on, getting on really good. We were actually promoted last season, so this is the first season back in the kind of top division in three years, four years, three years. Yeah, three years, I think. Yeah, so we're currently sat kind of mid table. Uh, we're in fifth. We've lost. We've only lost two games, and both of those games we were beaten. We were beaten by last last year's champions, who's Shamrock Rovers. We were beaten at home in the ninety third minute by a single goal, and the other defeat was away to St Pat's, St Patrick's Athletic, in Dublin again in ninety second, ninety third minute to a single goal. Hmm. Um, Wrenching. We've, we've been playing really well yeah no we've been we've been doing really good I think we've kind of surprised a lot of people because it's I think it's the same in most leagues when you go up 
everybody predicts you to go straight back down again. Um, so we came up with another side called Longford Town. We, we won the division. They came up via a playoff. Yeah. Um, and both of us started really, really well. Um, Longford have fallen off a little bit. They've had a few... They've had a couple of heavy defeats. One of them to us, we bet we bet them 4-0 away, which was probably... The, the, up until last week, it was like the, the big... The, the, the highest scoring game, say, in the first round of matches, and it was us beating them 4-0. And we haven't really had a decent result against Longford in, in years. So that was a that was a great result. Um yeah, we actually no, we were, we've been beaten three times. We were, we were also beaten away to our sort of local rivals, which is Dundalk. Um we were beaten 2-1. But we've played really good in every game. Um and all the all the, the commentators and various fans are kind of saying, oh, Drawdard seems to be doing really, really well. And they're quite surprised that, you know, we've got a really young side, but he brought in a nice little bit of experience as well, just to kind of, as you do, when you're going back into the top flight, you, you know, young kids are going to go in there and they're going to be great, but they're obviously going to be, you know, slightly naive and slightly unexperienced at that level. So he brought in a couple of kind of battle-hardened old guys. and They've fitted in really, really well. So, yeah, no, we're doing good. We're doing really, really well. If we can stay in and around where we are, I'll be very, very happy with the, the first year back. Excellent. You say he, so I'm guessing you're, you're alluding to the manager. What, what's your thoughts on the manager at the moment? How long has he been there and, and what's his sort of style? What, what's your, just your general thoughts on, on the coach? Yeah, the manager's name is Tim Clancy. Um, he would be what he's he's young. He's only like thirty, maybe thirty four, thirty five, maybe. He's not long retired as a footballer. And when he got the job with us, it was his first. It was his first role in management, and I was absolutely horrified because. I remember him as a player. He played with uh, Sligo Rovers, who were also in our league. I think he played with Bray. He also had a bit of time in Scotland. He played with Hibs for a little bit. So he played at an okay level. Um, played in the Scottish Premiership with Hibs. Played against yeah. Celtic and all these kind of clubs. I remember him at that at, at that time. Um, but I, yeah, I, I was a bit like, you know, why why are we giving him his first job? Why, you know, where, where's the qualifications and, you know, the usual. So we, we, everybody was a bit sceptical, basically. But kind of in hindsight, when I look back at it, you're kind of thinking, our chairman, um, Connor Hoy is the, the chairman's name. Connor decided to give this guy a chance, which is really not the done thing in our league because it's an absolute merry-go-round. Uh, it's the same managers getting job after job after job, and it has been forever. Um, right. Obviously, with one or two exceptions, um, Dundalk being a huge one, which I'll I can explain that situation to you later on because that's quite quite an interesting one if yeah, you don't sure. know anything about it. It's crazy, but um, yeah. So they brought in t- uh, they brought Tim in, um, and he basically has been challenging up the top of the first division for the last. Well, he's here. This this is his fourth year or third year. I think it's his third year. So for the first two years, we made the playoffs to try and get promotion. So he basically came in and, and in, in his first year, he pushed us into the promotion playoff. And then the second year, we, we really pushed hard again. 
just missed out on the playoff game. And then in the third year, we won promotion by one point uh, during during the COVID kind of when things came back after everything shut down for so long. We came back and we won basically the division by one point to, to get us promoted. But he really has proven himself as very astute, uh, very, very clever, not afraid to play young guys. Like, I mean, he, he brought on a chap two weeks ago, uh, Killian Phillips. I think he's, is he 20, maybe 19, 20? Um, so, yeah, he's, he's got a good track record, track record of bringing young lads through the underage systems, the under 19s and whatever, and bringing them, and he will play them. If they're on the bench, they're going to get played, which we think is great because, you know, again, for years in this league, you know, the League of Ireland, the top flight in the League of Ireland is a hard league. It's very physical. You know, bringing in kind of young, skillful, light players who want to play the game in the right way a few years ago was probably not the right thing to do because you were just going to be absolutely kicked off the ball. Yeah, it's like battled hardened old pros. A lot of a lot of guys returning from England as well, who are probably at the kind of end of their days, who will come home and get a contract for a year with a League of Ireland club and go straight in there after playing in say the championship or league one in, in the UK and, you know, maybe for 10 years or so. So they've got a lot of experience at that level and they're coming back in here and then you're, you're throwing in a, a young 19 year old alongside them or in opposition to him. So very, very difficult, but he seems to have, and a lot of other managers have as well in fairness, but Tim has come in and he, he has no problem throwing, throwing young guys in there alongside the older guys. And it, it seems to be working. Um, We've had one bad result this year uh, against Bohemians two weeks ago, and we got a draw. We actually equalised in the very, very last minute, which for us was great because it felt like a little bit of a, a little bit of comeback for what had happened to us for you know in, in another couple of results. But uh, that was the worst performance all season. And the first thing he did when he got he got interviewed after the match by by RTE, the, the national broadcaster, was to literally say, "That's the worst we've played all season. We were absolutely terrible." Because we'd like three games in the space of a week. We had a Friday, Monday, Friday, and we're a part-time team. So, you know, one of those games was gonna it was gonna catch up on us. They just looked leggy and yeah, they just weren't really in the game that much. But every every single other game up to this point, we've been really, really good in. So yeah, like zero complaints. He's been he's been great. Brilliant. You say they're a part-time team. Is that quite a common occurrence in, in Irish football? Or? Yeah, it's it's a strange it's a strange league. I mean, the the, the teams up the top are full time. Mm. Um, we we were full time. If we, we won the league years ago, we went completely full time. Spent millions and millions. Property investors and all these people came in and they wanted to buy the ground and they were going to build a lot of they were going to build us a new ground, as long as they could build a lot of houses beside it. You know, so we got sucked up into all this, you know, money, fo- money in football. So we 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 basically went completely bust. We ended up in court, and the football club was like one day away from survival. Uh, that's going back to like two thousand and eight, um, and that's happened. I can name. We could do a whole show talking about Irish football clubs that have gone bust. Right. Um. So yeah. So at the moment we are. Kind of semi-pro, the players are on contracts and get paid. But like, 
you know, our leading goal scorer is a postman. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's what you're dealing with. But when you go a little bit up the league, you're talking about Dundalk, who are, are like, they're from the same county as us, which is Loud. Um, so Loud, Loud kind of stretches up towards the border with the north. So Dundalk are up the top of the county and we're, we're down the south of the county. But Dundalk are probably the most successful club in the country over the last few years. I mean, they've won like five leagues, loads of cups. They they made Champions League group stages, all this kind of stuff. Like they played Arsenal there last year. Yeah, I support that. Arsenal. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what we're kind of up against. Like they, they brought in like tons of players this year. Like uh, they got a, a South Korean uh, I think he might be even an international. I think he might have played for South Korea, maybe underage, but they brought him in anyway. South Korean guy, a guy from the Central African Republic. They brought in, um, I think he's a Norwegian guy who plays for the Faroe Islands. And they brought in all these players that nobody knew. And it's not going very well for them, which makes me laugh. But they're obviously, spend, they're obviously yeah. spending incredible amounts of money in mm. comparison to the budget we have, like we 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 definitely be one of the lowest budgets. Um, so yeah, you'd have Dundalk that would be pro. Um, I think St Patrick's Athletic are pro. Bohemians are pro. Shamrock Rovers are pro. Um, so yeah, I think that's pretty much it. The rest of the teams are, are kind of a mix of pro players and semi-pro players. Excellent. So it's, it's a hell of achievement for Drogheda to. To be where they are in the league, then, if they're, you know, sort of competing with semi-pros and the rest yeah. of the pros, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're only, as I said, we're only pretty much after the first phase of games. So, if we can stay here, it'll be a, it'll be a great achievement. Yeah, definitely. How, how does the Irish Premier League work then? So, or Premier Division, sorry. How is it? Because um, obviously, it's a, it's a very small league. You've got ten teams in there. Is, do they play each other four times? How does that work? Yeah, yeah. I think there's, it's a 26 games. How does that work? Yeah, you play. <laughs> Don't ask, it's Ireland. Who knows? <laughs> I'm not very good at numbers. Yeah, you play each other. I think you play each other three times. Or is it four times? I can't bloody remember. I'll have to look at the fixtures <laughs> list. <laughs> but it is, you're right. It is a small league. It's very, very small. You, you, like once we started the first round of games just gone it feels like the league has just started and now we go we, we go again and you know you obviously whoever you play at home first of all second round fixtures you go away to them so that's where we were last week um and i'll give you that story if you want to hear it it's probably interesting yeah, to please. anyone who's interested in very farcical um we played waterford united who just basically sacked their manager, who was Kevin Sheedy, ex-Irish international, Everton kind of player, Everton legend Kevin Sheedy and Mike Newell, two, two guys came over to manage Waterford and for whatever reason were promised the earth, moon and the stars financially, didn't get it. So they brought in lots of kind of a mishmash of players, a few lads over from England and Scotland and a couple of local guys and it's a very kind of a strange situation down in Watford. Um, but they 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 basically got fired a couple of days before the ga- a, a game with them. Mm-hmm. Um, he only had, I think he only had one player on the bench for his last game, one one sub because of because of injuries. 
and he was asked in a, in a press interview why they why why did you not have five five subs on the bench and he said because the managers in this league are not affording any protection to the young players so I don't want to bring any young under 19s players or anything onto the bench because I just I won't play them so he got fired not because of that in particular but he got he got the boot mm-hmm. so then a few days later a few, a few days later, we're told that there was COVID cases in the camp uh, of Waterford and they were advised by the HSE, which is the health service executive, the, you know, the medical people, basically that they couldn't play the game, that all of the, all of the first team, all of the senior squad had to be tested. Um, everyone was tested and everyone turned out negative, but they still couldn't play the game. So they basically had to field a team against us with, with of under 19s, okay, of kids who basically haven't played a game or haven't trained since last December because of COVID. So what basically after saying he wouldn't play, he wouldn't put 19s on the bench, the under under 19s manager had to step in and bring his entire squad with him and play us in a, in a proper competitive game. And these poor guys hadn't kicked the ball since before Christmas. And we absolutely, we hammered them. We bet them 7-0. And it could have been a lot worse, to be honest with you. I think we kind of took a foot off the gas. And, you know, we didn't didn't go probably for the jugular as maybe we, I don't know whether we should have or not. But, you know, we anyway, so there's a bit of uproar about that. People are complaining, saying, you know, draw had have basically been handed three points and, and seven goals to the goal difference. Um, and they were also due to play again this week against Sligo Rovers, who are, are who are quite a good side. They're another full-time side, actually. I should have mentioned them. Um, but it turns out now that they've pulled from the game. So they're going to get, I think it's Sligo are going to get handed a walkover, which is a three-goal win and three points. So it just goes to show you how much of a mess our league is at times. These yeah. horror stories have been going on for year after year after year. Like people laugh. Yeah, you know, anyone who's not really interested in Irish football who comes over from anywhere else kind of like really enjoys the atmosphere and the games themselves. But the people who run the game in this country, the FAI, it's totally farcical. If you're interested in coming on the show for an Under the Floodlight special to talk about your favourite player or manager, please email the triplef2021 at gmail.com or DM the triplef84 on Twitter. All contact details will be in the episode description. Hope you're all keeping safe and thanks again for listening to the Triple F. But just sort of going back to what you said about um, Drogheda and how they approach that game. Uh, and a lot of the fans, how they were saying, those fans of other teams were saying that, you know, it was pretty poor of, of Drogheda to to do what they did. And I mean, what are you supposed to do? I think personally, the way I look at it, if you go out and play the game and score as many goals as you want, people, well, I personally see that as being professional. You know, what would those fans prefer Drogheda to do to just sort of sit back and not score as many goals? Because that's equally <laughs> disrespectful like surely they did the best thing and and approached the game as professionally as they they should have done yeah I, I, yeah mate i think the vast majority of people weren't annoyed with the way that drada approached the game they were annoyed with the fact that Watford had to play their mm. under 19 uh, okay uh, but there was there was one or two you know usual 
social media comments. One particular person was outraged on, on how we could have scored seven goals against these poor young boys, you know. And everybody just laughed. So it's like, Jesus, you, you play, you play what's put in front of you. And in, in all fairness, I mean, I think it was five nil at half time. Um, we, we you can make is it five substitutions now because of COVID and all that carry on. But uh, he kind of emptied the bench in the second half, and we brought on two or three of our kids to give obviously to give those guys a run. But uh, we only scored two goals in the second half. Um, and I think that if we really, really wanted to go for the jugular and get the goal difference up. We could have scored at least another three or four goals, but he didn't. He decided, no, well, we didn't try not to score the goals. It was just when we made all the subs. And and in fairness to Waterford, the young guys in the second half played really, really well. I did feel for them. I think it's a terrible way to make your debut for your for your probably your hometown club, probably for a lot of those, for a lot of those young guys. And um, you know, but it wasn't our fault. We just, as you said, you're you're a pro, you're you have to approach the game in a professional manner. So you just go out there, you do your job. If you're a striker and the ball lands at your feet or your head, what are you gonna do? Kick it away. You know what I mean? And yeah. you'll get a serious bollocking off the manager for that one and, and off us as well. So, you know. Yeah, so but most people absolutely agree with that. They were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, Strada had to go and do what they did and try and score as many goals as possible. Because in fairness, we could get dragged down into some sort of a a relegation battle towards the end of the season and goal difference might make all the difference. So who knows? Exactly. <laughs> now you've got to approach it the right way. Um, who are your your standout players at the moment? Standout player for me is a player called James Brown, believe it or not. <laughs> that always gets a lot of jokes. <laughs> yeah, he's young. He's only he's only with us. I think this is his third year with us. Um, I'm trying to think of what age he is now. Early 20s, 21, 22. And he's a winger. Uh he, he's he's an absolutely fantastic defender. He's one of these players, but he spends most of his time, you know, bombing it up the wing, uh, pinging in crosses. There's two guys either side. You've got a guy called Connor Kane on your left and Jimmy Brown on your right. And they're both kind of small enough guys, really good with the ball at their feet and just love going. So if he plays a kind of a back five, you know, you've kind of three three guys in the middle and, and one on one on the other side. So you've Connor and Jimmy Brown on either side, just kind of bombing it down. And Jimmy has been an absolute revelation this season. There was a, there's, there was a televised game recently um, on the national broadcaster, which is RTE TV. It was drawn away to Derry, Derry City, and um, they gave and they gave a different player the man of the man of the man of the match. The commentator gave a different player man of the match. But when they went to the kind of, they went in the studio, but they had three pundits in the ground. And they were saying like, well, we've never actually done this before, but we disagree entirely with who he's after giving him out of the match to. So we're going to give it to this guy. And then they showed loads of clips of him and all his little excellent parts of the game. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah. the, rest, the rest of the country is starting to kind of wake up to how good of a player this kid is. Because they wouldn't have seen much of him last year because he was in the fourth division and you know yourself. But uh, yeah, so James Brown, he, without a doubt for me, is, is a standout player. I don't think he's going to be a draw to player next year, I'll put it that way. 
I can really see somebody kind of coming in for him, maybe from from the UK or maybe further afield. Who knows? Because a lot of a lot of League of Ireland players have started to kind of venture more more towards Europe for football. Because I think Brexit has kind of thrown a spanner in the works there with getting getting Irish players over and stuff like that, which is kind of good to be honest. Because I've always wondered why a lot of these players didn't go to Holland and didn't go to Germany and, you know, different places. And Because a lot of times the football would have suited them and maybe they'd more of an opportunity over there. I don't know. I just, I'd be guessing. But I can see James probably heading, heading away somewhere. I think he's that good. I think he's excellent. He's an, an all-around footballer and a really modern footballer, and that kind of wing-back, you know, very intelligent. Um, and, and, and for so, someone so young, I think he's... He just has a brilliant mentality. He scored um, last year when we got promoted in the last game of the season. He scored the first goal, and that was his first ever goal for the club. He, he, what we wouldn't call him a goal scorer, but then this year, the first game of the of the of the league, he pinged the ball in. It was like again in the ninety kind of ninety first, ninety second minute. It was his ball that got pinged in, and the centre half came running in. Bam! Ball ended up in the bottom corner. So. Pretty much gave that gave that goal to Jimmy Brown as well. So he's he's getting he's getting better when it comes to kind of getting goals and stuff like that. If you can add that kind of thing to his game, yeah, he'll be he'll be amazing. So he's definitely been a standout. But there's been a few. You get all these shitty puns every week. You know, does he feel good? Yeah, <laughs> he knows that he's good. All that kind of stuff. <laughs> all, the, all the dad jokes come out. Yeah, exactly. I'll send you on a few a few links to Jimmy Brown later on, and uh, you'll yeah get to check him out. He's great. He's a really good player. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I was kind of agreeing with what you were saying as well. It would be nice to sort of see players from from Ireland, um, you know, get tested a bit more out in 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 leagues in Europe. Because especially the way I look at things here in the Netherlands, I think that probably is a closer sort of level to to what you have in Ireland. Obviously, yeah. bar, bar sort of Ajax and and. Um, you know, yeah. Feyenoord and the sort of top teams, but below that, Groningen yeah. themselves, I think you're looking at pretty much the same sort of level to like Dundalk and and your lads and, and whatnot. So I don't know. Irish football is weird. It, it kind of tends to the level fluctuates a lot, and the results in Europe are, you know, they're they're kind of a testament to that. You know, like years ago when Drada were in Europe. We played really, really well. We were like, um, we were like an inch away from beating Dinamo Kiev in Kiev, wow. like a lick of paint. Yeah. Again, if you look up, if you look on, look up up on YouTube, um, Dinamo Kiev versus Strata United in European game or whatever, and you'll, it's yeah, one of the most horrible nights of my life when it comes to football. I I I went to nearly all the games, the away European games. We played. Um, Helsingborgs when Henrik Larsson was was at Helsingborgs after he left Celtic and IK start and loads of loads of decent clubs mainly mainly Scandinavian clubs you tend to get drawn against and I think we did we competed really really well and we ended up we drew um, uh, what did I call him Dinamo Kiev uh, and away we were poof, literally I'd say the ball bobbled along the gold line. Like bum 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 and came out instead of going in, and then it was another shot that just kind of skimmed off the paint, and instead of just going in, which it normally would, it went up that way, 
And even, I mean, even all the Kiev players and, and the commentator, everybody was just like, oh, Jesus Christ, you know what I mean? How has this <laughs> happened, you know? But then, I think probably if you look at who qualified from early the next year, they went and got absolutely hammered by some really shit team. So there's just no consistency there. Since we went to summer football, European results for Irish clubs have got much, much better. Um, but Dundalk, I have to say, as much as I, they're the biggest rivals, and I'm not a big fan. You have to kind of hand it to them over the last few years because they've made they've made some serious progress. Shamrock Rovers, uh, I think Shamrock Rovers ended up playing your rivals, Spurs, over in White Hart Lane a few yeah, years ago. Well, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, they did pretty good. So the level has been kind of picking up over the last few years, but. You're kind of only one really bad result away from, you know, the whole thing crumbling again. And nobody wants to kind of go back to Irish. Like, I mean, we played, uh, again, there's some footage out there if you want to have a good laugh. But we played against Spores in the early 80s. I think it was 81 or 82 or 83, something like that. I think the end result was 14-0. So, yeah. And I mean, it was against, I mean, it was against Glenn Hoddle and, Bloody that that spores, you know what I mean? All it full of English internationals and yeah. But again, they, they were playing against part-time postmen and butchers and candlestick makers. So you know, you just you can't compete with that with that crack. But uh, yeah, definitely, I think the European results have got better over the last few years. But I'd still always be slightly worried when you end up playing somebody like Arsenal or you know. Teams with massive, massive budgets. We we just don't compete with that stuff. But that's why, sort of, with, with the Eredivisie over here in um, in Holland, it's like, yeah, you you obviously you've got those Ajax, Feyenoord, those, those sort of teams, PSV. Uh, but then below that, I mean, there was a team this year, BVV Venlo. They got spanked fourteen nil by Ajax this season. So it's yeah, oh. it, yeah, it's um, there, there's a massive sort of gap between the sort of competition there but I mean right. yeah that, that's why I imagine like you'll get those sort of teams that then go into Europe that are sort of below the sort of PSVs below the Ajaxes <clears throat> and then they become the whipping boys so I think I think what what it, the achievement for them and I imagine sort of Irish football teams is is perhaps just get into that first level and then you, you know it's at some point it's going to be inevitable where you get a bit of a, a kick in the teeth but at least just just go sort of enjoy the journey really that's that's all you can sort of do if you're coming from that level yeah and I think as well for Irish clubs qualifying getting through the group stage and getting to you know the group stage of the the UEFA or whatever it is um financially is just it's, it's massive mm. and it means then you know even as you said if you go there and you get you get spanked every week and you know it doesn't go very well for you on the pitch it means then that you can use that european money in the next year to go and kind of bolster your your squad and go and win the league and, and you know secure your financial position for years to come because that kind of money to to us in our league is is absolutely huge. When you start talking about millions of euro to, to a League of Ireland club, you're really talking about winning winning the lotto and you know securing your 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 future for at least a few years. Yeah. So 
qualifying for Europe is always about is always about the money for our clubs. And if you can go and get you know like a decent draw out in Latvia or even beat a Latvian or a club from Liechtenstein or you know no disrespect to any of those football clubs, but you know or even we always tend to get drawn against Cypriot clubs. Uh, Applewell, Nicosia, and all these clubs, because whatever way it is, seedings and all this type of thing goes, that's that's a similar. It seems to be a similar, similar league or similar level. So, if you can go out to these places and get a result, happy days. And it's a good, it's a good old jolly up for for all the fans. And yeah, I love it. We we qualified for Europe for a few years in a row back in sort of two thousand from two thousand and five till about two thousand and nine, I think which was a bit of a heyday for us when we had the investors and we won the FAI Cup in 2005 and then we won the league in 2006. Um, and we won loads of little other cups. We had a cross-border cup here called the Satanta Cup, which was between clubs in in the south and clubs in the north. Um, and that was, that was great, really good competition, actually. We, we won that, I think, twice, maybe three times, actually. Uh, so yeah, in and around that period was our kind of little heyday. So we got we got a good few trips away away to Europe, which was which is amazing. Going going anywhere supporting your club in Europe is is just fantastic, especially a small club. You kind of know everybody who's gonna go. And yeah, really, really amazing time. So yeah, that's as you were saying earlier on, if we can kind of hover around where we are now in the league this year. And kind of build on that for next year and the year after, and try and try and push on and, and maybe qualify qualifying for Europe again would be would be amazing. Because um, a few years ago, as I said, when you think you're going to go out of business and you're not going to have a football club to support, you know, you, and when you spend a few years in the fourth division, you you never see, you never think that you're going to be getting on a plane to go to Europe to support your club again, and you know it could happen. Yeah. In the next year or two, so that would be that would be amazing. If you like football films, then come check out the Triple F Cinema, where I'm joined by guests, sometimes football fans, sometimes not, to review a specific football film. Give me two tickets to that football film right now. fan of European football I, I wouldn't necessarily be unless it involves if it involves my club obviously I'm going to go to the games and I'm going to be, really enjoy it but I've never really taken to to European football all that much like all the big Champions League and it just doesn't just doesn't really do it for me I, I'm more of a fan of the uh, the lower parts of European football really that's really yeah. what attracts me more to it yeah I, I mean <laughs> The, the, the way this season has gone, I just want to keep away as much as possible from the elitist kind of levels of, of football. So, yeah, the, the sort of Champions League and everything that, I mean, we've really got to a point now with with that sort of elitist type of football that it's, for me, I think that glass ceiling is broken. So I, I've definitely yeah. taken more of a shine towards Zank Pauli, which I, I'm sure we can sort of um, 
touch on a bit more. And SA Groninger as well. I haven't been to a game, but I've been following a lot online and, and I'm yeah. eagerly anticipating going. And um, yeah, just just all that that kind of level of football. I mean, even even sort of Ajax, um, they you could kind of call them an elite team, but they definitely have their fans at heart. I was just reading this thing today that they're going to... Um, it's, it's a bit of a strange story, but uh, they're going to melt down one of their trophies that they've won and then they're going to melt it down into little stars and then post them out to all of their season ticket fans uh, just as a little thank you. <laughs> yeah, God knows how. Because I was having a, a debate with somebody. Apparently, they've got to melt, down, melt it down. It's just this plate, which is about this, to about 42,000 stars. So God knows how they're going to do that. They're going to be as tiny as hell. <laughs> Wow, that's strange. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a kind gesture, but I mean, yeah, yeah. strange one. But at least uh, the thoughts there, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'd be. Do you know what? I'd be the same. Again, you, you mentioned Sampoli, and uh, yeah, e- even even kind of watching. I, I've got a chance to watch loads of Sampoli games this year because of COVID, um, and I got one of those. I can watch German Sky at home type of thing. So I've been watching quite a lot. Like I'd probably watch more games on TV, some pearly games on TV this year than I than I ever have because you're spending lots of time at home and, and obviously got this device where I can watch these things. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so strange watching games with no one at them, man. And trying to, just trying to even kind of ma- maintain this, sort of interest in a game some some days if, if, if they go one up or they go two up and I'm watching it and there's no one in the ground and you're just kind of like oh man it's just it's so bizarre it really is a strange one but as you said when when we are allowed back into the grounds and stuff I can't wait to get back over there because it's yeah that's the kind of that's the kind of apart from my own hometown club and my own league which always comes first uh there's a few clubs around Europe I'd love to go and visit and I think I will after what we've just been through. You just don't know what's around the corner and I keep saying I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So I am actually going to do it and I'm going to try and get to as many games as possible. And I've got to make actually the guy who recommended me to do this, which was through the St. Pauli Facebook page, Connor. It was him. Yeah, that guy, Connor, he's, a, he's unbelievable when it comes to going to games. He, uh, he, I mean, he went to the, the African Nations Cup and all sorts of things and just brought a lot of lads with him and they just went around all these kind of West African countries and watching, supporting Tunisia or supporting Nigeria or whoever, just just for the crack, just for football, a few beers, for a laugh. So he's one of my um, sort of football tourist buddies and we'll definitely head off to a few, a few strange places. He goes to Hamburg to watch St. Pauli quite regularly, but he also goes to watch Altona, which is like, I don't know, what, three or four leagues below St. Pauli's sort of yeah. uh, level. Yeah. We, 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 uh, he tried to get me to go with him the last time and I was like, ah, man, absolutely hung over. There's no no possible way I'm getting six buses on a train at eight, <laughs> eight o'clock in the morning to go and watch Altona win promotion in front of 200 people. But uh, he's that kind of guy and he's like, oh, I'm going, I'll see you at the I'll meet you at the Milan Tour later on, and he and he went and went to this game, and he had he had great fun. He's he's just one of these people. He loves football. He'll go and watch like Leinster Senior League in Ireland, which is literally played in front of the players' mums and dads. And he'll go he'll go to a game, and he'll really enjoy it. 
you know, gets to know all these strange football clubs all over the place. And yeah, he's just he's one of these people who just has the, in my opinion, it's the right reason to go and watch football. Mm. It's just the love of the game. It doesn't matter what the stadium is like, what the facilities are like, even if there's no stadium, it's just being played on a on a field. He'll go and really enjoy himself and have a few cans and you know, it's great. There's not a lot of people like that anymore. I think everybody's become really spoiled with wanting certain, you know, certain level of facilities. And I understand that as well, because the facilities for us in Airground in Drada are really bad. We've been trying to get a new stadium for a long, long time. I mean, it was there wasn't even running water in the toilets about two years ago. It's terrible. You know, you're not going to bring your kids to that if you if you have if you have got kids and you want to bring them to football, it's just not going to happen, you know. Um stadia around the country, I think, has kind of got a wee bit better in the last couple of years, but there's still some seriously bad grounds. Most people that come over from, from anywhere else actually think they've just walked into like 1973 because <laughs> That's what it's literally like. It's even worse than, you know, you see a lot of the old coverage of sort of the terraces in, in England and stuff back in the 70s and the 80s. This is, this is it isn't even that. It's, it's, it's really, really bad. But yeah, hopefully, again, it's the FAI who are running the game here. They have a lot to answer for as far as, you know, help, help for the game and support for the game here because I mean it's the biggest it's the biggest participation sport in Ireland is football but yeah our national game is not football our national game is GAA which is the Gaelic Athletic Association which is Gaelic football um, and they literally receive the lion's share of all revenue and uh, not revenue excuse me of all funding coming from the government will go to the GAA Um which is kind of a bit of a signal for, for for a lot of us who support our local football clubs. I don't. I don't, I've nothing against GAA. GAA is fine. I'll go and watch a game. You know, that's that's. We all play GAA when we're children. You play Gaelic football and hurling, the one with the stick. Um, and I have no issues with you know everything. Every, but everything there needs to be a, le- a level playing field here as well. Like rugby gets a fair a fair whack of the stick too for the amount of people who play rugby, which is a very small amount. But Ireland seems to be quite successful at rugby and we seem to be good at it. So I don't know whether that's why the government throws a lot of money at it. But certainly the, the football community in Ireland feels a wee bit hard done by that we don't get the kind of support that, that everyone else does. Like You feel as if you're treated more as a bit of an afterthought then? Well, yeah. I mean, I know why Gaelic games are our national games. Mm. And you've got a lot of people in government who are you know, very nationalistic and they want to push, not nationalistic in a nasty way, but, you know, right. oh, it's, it's our game. It's Gaelic culture and the language and the, the, the game is, the game is the game. And if you go outside the kind of main, not even, I was going to say outside main cities and main towns, but I mean, Dublin, for instance, have won the GAA championship for the last seven years in a row. So it used to be quite a rural uh, an urban rural divide when it came to football and football was kind of more on the east coast of Ireland because that would have been the east coast of Ireland would have would have had a lot of the more say garrison towns and it was more anglicised so football had a real sort of a grip and a stronghold in the east and then the, the further you went west the more you kind of got more more country and more rural and more probably GAA and you know more 
what people would have considered to be more Irish the more you went that way, you know. Um, but it's not like that anymore. I mean, of course, we've gone back a long way there, but like it just people in our, it, it feels it feels like we just get kind of ignored and kind of brushed under the carpet a little bit. Like if you were to turn on an Irish radio station and they do like uh, the news and sport, when they get to the sport, they'll go, okay, we'll start off with football, um, blah, 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 Arsenal in Highbury. And they'll talk about Arsenal in London before they'll talk about Drogheda United or Sligo Rovers or Galway United or Derry City. We just get a little bit at the end of the broadcast. Oh, and by the way, there's a game in the uh, there's a game in the Air Tristy League uh, Premier Division tonight between Drogheda and Bohemians, and that's all we'll get. And then there's a lot of niche people who do what you do, who do podcasts. Uh, there's so many of them now; it's amazing. That, but that's the only coverage we're really getting. The mainstream media just really just don't care anymore about mm-hmm. Irish football. They're more, more concerned about the English Premier League and. The national side, but when it comes to the to lead the league here, they just have no interest. That's a shame, man. Do you think that'll ever change? It'll change if people start having more of an interest and stop going to watch English football clubs before their own clubs. And mm. This is a this is a real bone of contention with people as well. I get into so many arguments and so many fights with people saying like, "Oh, well, I, I I was born in a house. My dad was a Liverpool supporter, and my granddad was a Liverpool supporter, and there was no there is no League of Ireland club or anywhere where I live. So who do you want me to support? You know? And I mean, what can you, what can you, I can't I can't force people to do anything. I, you know, I think that if you're born in a town that has a League of Ireland club but you're not brought to that club as a kid. Your dad decides that he wants to fly every Sunday morning to watch Celtic or watch Manchester United or Liverpool. You know, you, you don't stand any chance as a kid because that's what you're going to be brought up doing and that's what's going to be in your in your heart for one of a better word. He's like, they're my club. I always find it funny people saying, you know, my club this and my club that. and They've never even been in the ground. Those kind of people are strange. But there is a lot of people who do travel over, well, obviously before COVID, but would have travelled over to the UK week in, week out to watch all manner of football clubs. Irish football, I think if you go back to the 50s and you look at the footage of the crowds, the crowds were massive, absolutely huge, and it was really well really well supported. Yeah, I mean, there's documentaries out there about the, the collapse. I've got a great book called Who Stole Our Game? all about the caps of Irish football and, and why it did happen. So, I mean, I'm not even going to get into that with you because you'd be here all day. But um, if you look at the amount of people that used to used to attend games and then you kind of getting into the, was it the late 70s, early 80s with the big match? Do you remember? I don't know how old you are, but you had the big match on ITV on a Saturday afternoon. It was, it was when ITV got the rights to start, start showing games at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, And basically what happened was all Irish football was on at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. So literally within the space of a few years, people stopped going to watch games, stopped mm. going to watch live football and all became armchair football fans and Man United fans and Leeds fans and whatever 
whatever club was kind of winning everything at that time. And some of them would have had, all of them probably had Irish players in them at that time as well, playing at a really good level back then. So people just kind of drifted towards watching the TV instead of actually attending live games. Just really, really strange and really, really sad. And I always have it in the back of my mind. I'd love to, I'd love to see Irish, Irish League football now, or League of Ireland football, I should say, if that didn't happen. You know, where would we be? And I, I also get into the argument quite regularly with people about the Irish national team. And we're really bad at the moment, really bad. We probably the worst we've been in a long, 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 long time. And all that to me, this isn't, you know, it, that's not in isolation. All of this is related. You can't, you can't look at our league and how people do not support Irish football and Irish grassroots football and then look at our national side and go, oh, well, those two things are not related, you know what I mean? They are absolutely related. There's an umbilical cord connected to and an absolute disconnect between the two with most people that I, I just feel if people don't support our league, that we'll never, ever, ever have a decent national team, a decent national team. And that to me makes total sense. But a lot of people will deny that and get into various arguments with me over it. But I just I just I don't see how you can argue that argue to the contrary. No, no, I completely agree with you, mate, because I think, yeah, there's there's obviously a connection there. There's obviously going to be some players that, that sort of go off to England and whatnot, but the the source of Irish football is the bread and butter. That's the heart of, of, of the, the the feeding uh, mechanism, like you say, that umbilical cord. And and if that's if there's a, an issue there with the FAI uh, and they're, you know, kind of... Um, not treating Irish football with the sort of respect and and the um, the honour that it deserves, and it's obviously there's obviously going to be a disconnect there, and there's going to be an issue there. So just sort of going back to what you're saying as well, just um, with the sort of whereabouts Irish football sort of begun to change and started to change. I'm sure it must have coincided when Sky Sports came into football and Sky Sports just threw money into it. Uh, mm. And that completely changed football. As soon as TV money came into football, that's where everything just completely changed and that's where you see this elitism now and that's why football really is or has got to that point and it's got to the point of the European Super League and I think that European Super League hopefully with those clubs pulling out has um, kind of been like I've mentioned before the, the sort of glass ceiling breaking and I'm hoping now I mean, speaking personally, um, I'm an Arsenal fan and, and Arsenal just by association being a part of that European Super League, uh, I'm quite disgusted, to be honest. And I've got a bit of a, uh, a, a bit of taste at the back of my throat because of, because of that. So I've definitely been looking at European football more. And when I say European football, I'm not talking about the Champions League bollocks. I'm talking about, you know, you sort of FA Honigas and, and, you know, at St. Pauli's, like we've mentioned before, and those sort of lower leagues. And I think that's the kind of where I want to see football 
hopefully sort of head towards in that direction. Maybe I'm being a bit of a blind idiot and there's a bit of uh, foolish hope for me to to think that it's going to head that way. But um, that's what I want. And, and I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on, on European football of that ilk going forward. Yeah, no, I feel exactly the same. I, I mean, I obviously you couldn't avoid the, the media coverage that that European Super League thing did get. I mean, ugh, my God, it was on like radio in the morning that would never mention football ever. On the way to work, they were talking about European Super Leagues and all this shit, and I was just like, you know what? I actually don't really care. From my mm. point of view, it's got nothing to do with me. It's so far away from why I like football and, and go to football and don't treat football as a TV show and all of the things that, you know, probably a lot of people who will watch your show will, will feel the exact same way. I, I mean, I, I really don't give a fuck about the six richest bloody football clubs in England want to go and play, play a European game midweek against Real Madrid and Barcelona. I'm like, yeah, whatever, yippee-doo. I'd rather, I would literally rather go and watch my local club in the rain with, with another thousand people stood on a, a crappy terrace getting beaten three or four nil. You know what I mean? I really would. I, I, I don't care, man. It's it's like, it's kind of like watching a really bad, huge, a really big budget Hollywood movie that's really shit. Yeah. You know, you kind of, you kind of, you kind of, you'll watch it and you kind of, you can't look away from it and go, this is terrible. And it's none of my business, you know, that kind of way. Yeah. I just, yeah, I, the whole thing with St. Pauli and, and punk rock football, I just, I just, I want football to be about that and going to watch it with my family. And, you know, my brother in law is next to me, my dad is next to me, some of my best mates are behind me. We've gone for a beer before the game, and I'm going to go and have a few more beers after the game and win, lose, or draw. I'll be there the next week or I'll, I'll go to the away game the next week, whatever that is. And that, to me, it, that's football and it couldn't be any further away from the shit we were just talking about. So, yeah, I zero, zero interest in it, you know. It's funny as well what you were saying about the stadium uh, because, I mean, as a kid, I, I used to support my local team, Rushton and Diamonds, and I remember we went to a... Right. Um, a football match at um, Luton Town. I can't remember the name of the stadium, so I apologise to the Luton Town fans. But uh, there was a time where me and my old man were just walking into the ground, and and the I think the entrance for the away fans at the time, you basically you were walking past people's bedroom windows, living room windows, whatnot. You could see Doris. <laughs> Doris doing the old ironing as you as you walk into the ground and I and that has always stuck with me that I mean I've, I've been to sort of bigger stadiums obviously I've been to the Emirates Stadium and whatnot but for me what which sort of stadium visit really sticks with me is that one and that for me that's the charm of football that's the that's the real football that's what we love football uh, fans love really and that's you know for me that's way more important than going to a, a sparkly new sort of new camp or whatever it be yeah I know it's but it's like I think you and I certainly do I have a real I, I have an, a real interest in sort of football culture as in all the things that happen kind of outside the game and you know all the politics that goes on in football and kind of looking looking at lots of the kind of left-wing clubs in Europe and 
how football has changed people's lives and how football has changed places and how political movements are born out of football for for good and for bad. You know, looking back on English football and the right wing movements and the National Front and you know the whole right right wing racist movements that all came from football, all came from the terraces and you know the BNP giving out leaflets of English football and it happened again and it happened in Sweden as well. It was a lot of it just I love the culture of football. I love reading about all that stuff. And there, there's a whole, I think there's a whole sway of people out there that are like me that kind of look around at all these different clubs and they, the likes of Copper 90 doing all these really nice documentaries on, on different clubs around Europe that you might not have heard of and, you know, what their political leanings are. And, and, and you know, like, I mean, the fact that the Balkans war years ago was pretty much started on a football pitch by you know, shit kicked off. It was going to start anyway, but it started that day on the pitch. I mean, football is a, it's a massive game worldwide. We all know that's the biggest game in the world. And it, it's so important to so many people. And like I've been to, I've been to Brazil and, you know, when you see how important football is to people in Brazil, it's, it, it's unbelievable. And, and Africa as well. I mean, and Asia, and you know, football is, it's the, the biggest and the best game in the world. And, for the reasons that we both love football, th- those reasons have, have been sort of crushed and walked upon by, you know, without getting into talking about all those people again. I mean, they, they have no love for the game. It's, it's not a game to them. It's completely about money and finance and all that kind of crap. But for us, you know, we're, we're spending Wednesday evening sitting here, two, two strangers that don't know each other, sitting chatting about football. I mean, why would we do that if we didn't love this game? And, Again, I'll say it again, I'd, I'd much rather be stood in my local ground with friends and family watching shit football in a shit ground, getting a shitty result. Doesn't matter. I, I, I can't pick my team. You know what I mean? You're just you're born where you're born and you, you just have to go with it. And hopefully things hopefully things turn around and you, you might win something someday. But if you don't win anything... Them's the breaks, you know. I, I can't just pick a football club out of the air and go, oh, I'm going to support them. Like, so if somebody might be listening and go, well, you thought you said you were a St. Pauli fan. And I go, yeah, but the worst football club in the world to pick if I ever wanted to win anything would be St. Pauli because it doesn't, you know, winning things doesn't matter to me. It doesn't make any difference. It's great if you do, but, you know, it's not what it's about. No. I mean, it's the whole reason I started this podcast, mate, is just because... I mean, there are so many sort of podcasts in there and not to dig them and not to sort of have a go at them, but a lot of them just sort of focus on on the sort of day-to-day, you know, games and matches of, of certain clubs and whatnot. But for me, and this, you know, going back to the European Super League, there was absolutely no regard for the fans whatsoever. And for me, what makes football is the fans. Like, the fans for me is... Obviously, there's the football that's being played on the pitch as well, but the fans are such a huge component to why we love it. And like you say, those culture of the, of the fan bases, for me, that's so incredibly interesting. And, and um, yeah, it was just why I wanted to do these sort of magic of episodes to look at the likes of Dundalk, uh, sorry, Drogheda. Uh, uh, oh yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a Freudian slip there, mate. I do apologise. I'll edit that out. That's yeah, the yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
You can Brilliant. slap me. But, oh, terrible. Yeah, the likes of Drogheda and, um, uh, you know, I've done ones on Berry, uh, obviously St. Pauli as well, and I've got some more coming up. I've got a, a, a Japanese Division 2 <laughs> coverage uh, of one coming up oh. as well. So, yeah, got some really, really interesting teams. FC um, Copenhagen as well. They're I just looking at doing the research on 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 FC Copenhagen and there I've never been so taken aback by fans before as much as I have with with that club I was just looking at their ultras and they must have had about 20 different drummers just banging the drum they're all completely in rhythm and they're getting the whole stadium going it was just I'll send you the link mate because it was absolutely breathtaking just the the, wow. the show that they were putting on to to get the you know, get the team G'd up. It was, um, it's incredible. But um, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the fans for me, mate. It's the fan base that really, um, really interests me. And that's that's what, for me, football's all about, really. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, even Irish football is a strange one as well because you, you're a lot of people that would come in and out of the game over the years. And, and because, because the clubs are, are so kind of community-based, there's always there's always some sort of falling out with the club and and the fan base at various different points over the years. I mean, I, I'm I'm probably supporting the club twenty, not that long because I'm nearly what well, I'm I'm forty eight and I didn't probably go to my first game until I was twenty seven, twenty eight because I literally had zero interest in football. I was brought up in a in a football house where everybody everybody played football. Dad, brother, everybody played. Everybody played football and then went on to manage football clubs, local local teams, you know, junior level or whatever. I was just more into music and playing in bands and rock and roll and, you know, the usual carry on. I always kind of liked football, but I never really bothered going to matches. And then I ended up going to a first division game on a really, really horrible, rainy winter's night. And I just completely got hooked. And I mean, there was probably, I'd say if there was 500 people at that game, I can't even remember who we played. And for some reason, I just got the bug and I was like, oh, wow, this is great. I'm going to do this again. And then I think the next season, I ended up buying a season ticket. And that's 20, 23 years later. I've been just been buying season tickets every year and just got completely kind of absorbed and obsessed with the club and just got really into football as a, as a, as a culture. Um, but... As I said, Irish football is weird because a lot of people, a lot of people kind of get into going for a few years and you'll see people on the terrace next to you for three or four years and then they just completely fall away and disappear. And then you might see another another crew of people on the other side of you stood where you stand and he's like, oh, I haven't, I haven't seen them in years. And does, does it does just say strange? Well, maybe it's just my club. I don't know. People from other League of Ireland clubs can, might, might say different, but there was always this disconnect with the club and the community at one point as well, because the club got itself into lots of debt, excuse me, and it owed loads of local businesses money and all this kind of weird, you know, and then you get different owner will come in and, or different chairman will come in and there'll be a different board, a new manager and a whole new set of players. And he'll say to people, are you going to go up and watch drugs? And they're like, no, 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 I'm not fucking going anywhere near, near that place. And you're just thinking this very strange attitude towards the club, the club kind of developed a little stigma for years that it was just that it owed it owed loads of people money and 
yeah, I don't know really where I'm going with this, but it's a weird one. I've, I've always wondered if, if, if all these little groups of people that have gone and supported the club kept going and you just built on it and built on it and built on it over the years, you would never get yourself into a situation where you are in in hock and owe loads of money and you are in debt and the club ends up, you know, in, in the forecourts, literally on a lifeline. Because we, we were literally one day away from not having a football club ever again. And that has happened to Drawley United. It has happened to Dundalk. It happened to Cork City, who are probably the biggest club in Ireland. They got relegated last year. They're now in the first division. But a couple of years ago, they went completely bankrupt into debt. As you mentioned, Bury there earlier on. So I'm thinking they've, they've completely gone out of football, haven't they? It, it, it happens here all the time. And what people do is they just go and just start another club under a different name. Mm. It's, it's happened in Cork about four four times, five times. Limerick FC are now called Treaty United because Limerick went completely tits up and now they're called Treaty United. Um, who else can I think of now? Derry City, they went bust a few years ago. Uh, they just, you just kind of tear up, tear up one contract and, and sign another one and start all over again. It's very strange. Yeah, maybe English football's heading that as way as well, because I think that, you know, especially with what happened with the pandemic, I think there's going to be a hell of a lot more teams that go under um, and, and that are going to suffer the same fate as Bury. Um, but yeah, it's it's a sad thing to see. But uh, I suppose if it's happening in Ireland so often, it's, it's more or less uh, become a sort of um, just something you just expect nowadays, really. Yeah, yeah, pretty much nobody... Nobody bats an eyelid. It's just like, oh, okay, right, yeah, whatever, and, and just move on. And the people who don't support the league, who kind of mock it, sit and laugh at it, just they laugh even harder and just go, well, yeah, we told you it was shit. Because, you know, you can't, how can you expect people to take the league seriously when, when this happens constantly, year in, year out? You know, stadiums are rotting away and just not getting any better. And, and then club, the club just decides to spend loads of money and then go broke. You know, it's Dundalk is an interesting one at the moment. I don't know whether you've you've seen anything in the Irish kind of social media about that, but um, they have owners from America called Peak Six, who are some sort of investment company. I think Peak Six are involved in. Am I right in saying Brighton and Hove or somebody in the UK? It's definitely one of those teams from down down the south. Um, they're an like American investment company. They definitely have. Some sort of ownership in one of the English clubs. Could it be I Burnley? Burnley have just been overtaken by a, an American conglomerate. So I'm not sure if it's them. I don't think it's Burnley. I think it's definitely one of the ones down south. It's either Brighton or Bournemouth. It's one or the other. Mm. Um, but they they kind of took over the running of, of Dundalk Football Club. Um, I mean, they they the first few years they won they won the league a few years in a row and qualified for Europe and. You know, they were investing investing a few quid into the club and all that, and their fans seem to be reasonably happy. But this year, the wheels have fallen off and they've gone completely, they're right down the bottom of the league and they're not winning games. They brought in all these strange signings from all over the world that no one had ever heard of and, you know, got rid of like five or six of their regular players. They let two of the best players go to their biggest rivals, who's Shamrock Rovers. Um, they let one come to us. They, yeah, there's about six, six of their players were just let go, and these kind of random players that nobody knew were brought in. Um, basically, the owner is in the states. He's has like zero interest in football. He's a uh, 
there were suggestions made last year about moving their home games to Dublin to the Aviva Stadium, which is an absolute farce, like moving from one town to the other, you know, 50, 60 miles down the road, whatever, even more than that, you know, completely crazy, you know, suggestions that only somebody interested in money would would make. Yeah. So so there's, there's a worry there now. It wouldn't necessarily worry me. I'm not a fan of the club, won't bother me, but there's a worry from a lot of their club, a lot of their fans that things are going to go, get a lot worse before they get better for those people, you know? And I have to say, even though there is a big rivalry with them, I, I, it would be terrible if they went out of business. No, they're nowhere near going out of business at the moment, just let me clarify that. But, you know, if things keep going down the road they're going on, there's a big, there's a fans protest at the game on Friday and there's a new, some new supporters group was just after getting set up to try and have some sort of involvement with the football club because at the moment they don't have any say in anything. It's all being run by this guy called Bill Hulzier, I think is his name, some American billionaire guy just sat in the States, you know, it's a, it's a strange one. Yeah. Yeah, but that, like you say, that disconnect between sort of ownership and football clubs and the fans is it's such commonplace now. It's it's really a shame. And that's why I'm sort of casting an eye uh, towards sort of lower levels of football and, um, and long may it continue. And hopefully the, uh, you know, the sort of the drive of fan podcasts, I know it's, must be such a small percentage but that and and just fans showing more of an interest in grassroots football um will hopefully help that those levels of football rise back up and and like and sort of speaking more specifically about uh irish football hopefully that will help um especially after what happened with the the european super league Uh, i'm imagine there's going to be a portion of fans that you have these Irish football fans that were looking more at, you know, the Premier League and English football, they're probably going to be fed up of it as well. So it might sort of turn their heads towards supporting Drogheda and, and, and whatnot as well. So hopefully that will, that will help. But um, uh, thanks again, Niall, for coming on, man. I really appreciate it, buddy. I'm going to have to um, round things up, I'm afraid. No worries, man. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. See you, buddy. Thanks a lot, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to The Triple F. If you could please drop a like on our Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter, that would be massively appreciated. Hope you're all keeping safe and thanks again for listening to The Triple F.